0: Are you the
1: are you that Joe guy from the podcast? And he goes, What? <laughs> and, so that was kind of funny how, how that turned out that way. The very same morning as I was listening to that podcast, I, I bumped into the guy. So that was that was random.
2: Okay, sorry, that's funny. I'm editing that out, okay? We gotta
1: Ooh, feel better now. <laughs> okay, we can keep going.
2: What kind of beer are you drinking? All right.
3: Hey do, hey do you know the uh you know the name of my cat, by the way?
2: No. What is... His
3: name's Sproutly. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, that's no that, joke. That name comes up a, a lot. I have a 10-year-old cat named Sproutly. Okay. You,
2: you know what's awesome? That's the first time I've ever had a garage door open on this show. Really? That was. <laughs> what are you doing, letting the dog out?
4: No, I had to take a leak. <laughs> now I got to edit that, man. I had some gold there
5: welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry we focus on guides conservation resort managers gear and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the fly crate
2: well it's been another year already and uh as we start 2020 off i always like to go back and look at the shows from the previous season some of the outtakes the takeaways and uh grateful for a lot of the great guests we've had that contribute to the program and also want to um acknowledge the top three cities this week on the podcast uh... portland oregon seattle washington and wichita kansas so thanks for uh... for tuning in i also want to let you know that as always the program is brought to you by the good folks at the fly crate since 2015 the fly crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques and provides unique fly fishing flies gear and tackle the Flycrate is an American-owned company and is committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. You can check out The Flycrate at www.theflycrate.com. And here's what we took away from 2019.
3: Okay, I, I made my made my way up three flights of stairs. Oh, you... four flights of stairs, sorry, I was in the parking lot down there. <laughs> You, getting something out of my truck there. Do you need
2: to catch your breath, man?
3: I'm working on it right now. Those <laughs> <laughs> things. That's all good. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah? yeah. I was painting the uh some painting in the restaurant today that I always do the maintenance paint.
2: Are you doing that on your own? You got help?
3: No, nah, I do it on my own.
2: Get what do you crank the deal, crank the Mad Dog Sports Radio or what?
3: Yeah, we did a little football in the morning and uh, a little Howard Stern, followed by some seventies classics. Right? <laughs> I love it. Got to mix it up a bit.
2: I definitely think it, it's it's very effective. Hey, Colin, where is your favorite place to talk fly fishing? Like, I I mean, I know I'm sure you talk it in your restaurant, the Razor's Edge, at uh, Apex. Um, but is there a place you go? Razor's Edge. Razor's Edge. Yeah, Edge bistro. I'm editing that. Yeah, you are never mind. The Edge Bistro. (laughs) I'm sure at your at your restaurant, the Edge Bistro. Where do you like to go to talk fishing? Is there a local watering hole or fly shop or coffee shop? Where do you get your fix?
3: You know what? It's on this device I'm talking to you on right now. It's the it's the cell phone. And it's phoning guys like you and phoning and, uh, yeah. you know, talking to, talking to friends, get home from fishing. You're excited. You, uh, you, you talk to talk, phone your buddies and share that information. You know what? They get excited. Next thing you know, they're fishing two days later, three days later. And you're getting that call four days after that, telling you what they had or didn't have. And that, that's my, that's where I like to talk. I like to, I like to just communicate. And then, uh, my memories are. Trolling, uh, trolling Spratleys on on Penosk Lake with Dad and Grandpa, you know, in the in the late '70s, early '80s. Right. Hey, hey, do you know the uh, do you know the name of my cat, by the way?
2: No. What is
3: His name Spratley. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's that's no joke. That name comes I up have a lot. Year old cat named Spratly. Is
2: he is he oh, kind of green cat. with a silver rib and a pheasant tail?
3: <laughs> no, that's a that's a long story in the name of that family cat. But uh, we won't go there. tonight.
6: No, I I they they like me to be a guide, but I just my situation's very special in the fly shop. They they, they require me to bring my dog. You know, so there's a shop dog. This is Montana. So you got a shop dog, and it, that's the whole population, it sounds like 350, you know, but it's right, just just after you enter Montana, too, so it gets a lot of traffic, a lot of guys come and fish. But anyway, they talked about making me a guide and stuff, and I thought, I don't know, because I can bring my laptop and write while I'm there, you know, between customers.
7: They're okay with
6: that. I can bring my dog, I can bring my laptop, I can write, I've got internet access, and I've got air conditioning. <laughs> And when it's 100 degrees, I don't want to be on the river. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I learned a lot there, too. You know, so uh, Joe Cantrell's outfitting. That guy's fantastic, too. I mean, he's, he's almost 80 years old. He's been doing this for decades. You know, it's been said that he's got all the fish named in every bend of the river. You know, that, he denies that, but I don't know. He's pretty good. What inspired you to uh, start the podcast?
2: You know, I was looking for content on fly fishing, like I, I, me personally. Even stillwater stuff, I could find. I couldn't find anything really, or there was very little. And what was there was kind of um, it was just too vague and not very detailed. So um, I just kind of thought well, the show about people's story and kind of their passion. It's not about me. So it's about you know why, why do we fly fish? What, what, what brings us, and what, what do you get out of it? Like a lot of people tell me they get, it's almost like therapy. Um, I've had, I've just had some really great conversations with, with a lot of people that are pretty passionate in the industry. So I had the radio background. I thought, well, anybody can do a podcast. It's just a matter of, of talking to people. So it's, it's the guests that make, make the program. And I think the shared kind of passion for fishing hopefully comes through. Um, and I'm, I'm not looking, just so you know, David, I'm not looking to interview famous quote people all the time. That's, I mean, I've had some pretty, pretty well-known fly fishers on the podcast for sure. Um, but I find like that young guide and, or that kid working in the fly shop or, you know what I mean? There's so much passion there that, um, I really enjoy talking yeah. to, to those people. It's all all I'm looking to do is kind of find out what you're about and man, just talk fishing.
6: Yeah. No, love it. I'll, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Talk a little fishing.
8: Talk a little, uh, you know, mountain living. Talk a little, maybe sermons and stones and and what I'm trying to do with that. So yeah, I'm game for sure.
2: Well, why don't we uh, we kick it off here and uh, see where we go. Hello. Hey Jesse, it's Mark from Fly Fishing 97. How are you?
4: Hey, I'm doing great. How are you?
2: Good man. Have you got you got a few minutes?
9: Yes sir, I I have a couple hours if you need it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, no that's that's totally perfect um and that's actually what excels me to the water. Um okay. you know, I grew up riding bulls and and just kind of getting knocked down and um, <laughs> and and it, you know that the, the rodeo aspect and the cowboy aspect of life, you know, really taught me to, how to stand back up. Um Hmm. when when you get hurt and and fly fishing kind of there's really you know everybody gets moving so fast that um, we forget to slow down and appreciate things and fly fishing is kind of my church where i can just go and not think about stuff
5: <laughs> well that that's kind of a funny story in itself um chris could never really teach me how to cast I You know, he's taught me other things, and and I did, you know, like becoming a better shooter. we We do a little bit of skeet shooting and that kind of thing, and he's great at that, and he's an awesome fly caster. But as far as him teaching me, he would get frustrated with me, and I would just get frustrated with him trying to teach me. And I ended up actually having a couple of guys in the fly fishing club help me work on my cast, and it took me forever to learn how to cast because I had been spin fishing so much and I was just using my wrist too much. And it, you know, my cast was horrible for a long time. And then one of the guys in the club, actually a good friend of mine, his name is Rob Pritula. He lives in East Tennessee now, but Rob went out with me one afternoon and he's like, Leslie, you can do this. Just close your eyes and stop trying to force the rod. Let the rod do the work for you and relax. Hmm. And I just started casting and, and I wasn't trying to use too much realist and, you know, just Rob's encouragement was, was pretty awesome. And, and I, I do still take some casting lessons. I've been fly fishing for almost 20 years now. And every other year or so I'll take a casting lesson from somebody because I do pick up bad habits and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, it, it was just a lot of practice and, you know having the right person put the right words in my ears to make me understand what I was doing wrong
2: yeah well i tell you what i wish i wish i had somebody talking in my ear when i was learning to cast cuz i've developed a lot of bad habits and i know the, the line gets out there so at the end of the day um but i, I ran into a fellow who was like in the, in the world fly casting championships or something and he was telling he looked at my cast and he's like oh man <laughs> we got we got some work to do here, but, um, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody say that they'll do that once in a while, go back. Cause we do develop bad habits. I know my, my elbow always wants to come off my body and, and, and then you start working too hard.
5: I I, I think a lot of people try to overpower the rod, you know, and hmm. in, instead of letting that rod do the work for you, you try to make the rod work and, and you have to, you have to kind of slow down a little bit and feel that rod flex, and let it do its job. Um, like I know when I teach people a lot, you know, and I say I say it's not, you know, when I teach my classes at Orvis, I'm like, you know, it's not a power thing; it's a timing thing, and you don't have to be big and strong to make a beautiful fly cast. You have you just have to have the correct timing.
2: Hello, this is Mark. Hey, Mark, it's Mark Hopley from Fly Fishing 9-7. How are you?
6: I'm good, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. Caught off guard by your, guard by your British Columbia number.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I get a lot of hang-ups. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like know what?
2: I'm in uh, the interior of BC, so whereabouts are you at exactly, okay. Mark?
6: Northern Michigan.
2: Okay. Uh, What town you oh. in, or, or do you want to say?
6: Uh, Harbor Springs. Harbor Springs? Harbor Springs. Hang on a second. I'm going to see it. If... Can you hear me okay?
2: Yeah. Perfect.
6: Okay. All right, good.
2: Sounds good to me. My
6: phone's... When I go down to my office, uh, my phone has to switch over to Wi-Fi because I don't have good cell service
7: in my basement.
2: Well, if it breaks up, I'll let you know. But it sounds good right now.
7: Um, okay, and you
6: can just call me back if we get disconnected. Yeah, so no worries. Um, if you hear yelling in the background, it's my wife watching football.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Who's playing tonight? I don't even know. Shoot, that reminds me.
6: Pittsburgh and the Browns. Okay. Nobody, nobody that uh, she really cares about, but she's just a football nut.
2: Is it in Pittsburgh?
6: Uh, it is in Cleveland, believe it or not. Oh, shoot. I think, yeah.
2: I told I my buddy. I it was in Cleveland, yeah. I'm in a pool here, and I told him I didn't have time to get into the pub. I'm like, hey, just pick all the home teams this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah,
6: I, I don't have, I don't, I, go
2: ahead. I was going to say, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to any of the shows, but it's just basically a chill conversation kind of about your fly fishing experience and, and where your passion comes from. and. And we could talk about tie right and uh wh- wherever you want to go.
8: Okay. And and now we're uh now we're mass producing them.
2: That's awesome. I, I'd like to hear more too about your backstory, Scott, with this. Now who's making these uh nippers for you, these lid rig?
8: Sure. You know, I took uh that's been a, a journey in itself, a fun one at that. But uh you know, coming out of technology, uh <laughs> and I'm not a coder. Um, (laughs) So when something goes wrong, you you know, a lot of times I can't see it. So I wanted to take a stab with a a physical, physical product. Um, You know, the initial idea seems easy enough, simple enough, but uh, when you kind of peel it back, the amount of design and fabrication that, that goes into making these is, is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it probably took, oh, I mean, at least 30 shops or, or meetings, um, with, with designers, uh, machinists before I, I came across a team of vets out here in Denver that just had a phenomenal backstory themselves.
7: Mm-hmm. And,
8: uh, one guy in particular, um, kind of hit it off with him, but, uh, he, he had PTSD. Um, you know, he was actually a, a machine gunner on top of a of, uh, Humvee. Uh, came home, just struggled, was homeless. Uh, you know, pulling his life back together. Uh, he Actually has a, a huge shop, uh, working out of his garage at the moment. Uh, but you know, we're with this uh, team effort here and partnership. Uh, we just got him into a new shop. And he's going to expand, uh, hopefully, you know, working with bringing in more vets with uh, his similar background. And, and uh, yeah, it's been a phenomenal experience and would love to uh, make an impact uh, for our vets as well as that's, we grow our business.
2: That's good stuff. I always love to hear backstories. When businesses have more of a story to tell, I just, I just find it – A lot more interesting and to be quite honest, uh more likely to support. So I'm gonna fire a few rapid fire questions at you, Tony. You ready for this? Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) There we go. They're they're not I promise you they're not hard. dry fly (laughs) or nymph.
10: Oh man. Uh nymph.
2: (laughs) Bengals or browns? Uh, Giants. Giants. (laughs) Browns um, Browns or rainbows?
10: i uh, I say the Browns.
2: What your favorite rod that you make your go to?
10: The bronze back.
2: Okay. That's a little faster action?
10: It is. Um okay. and yeah, you know, it's geared towards uh you know, the bass fishing and, and smallmouth is, is kind of my passion. So cool. Um how about you? But it's—I've used it. Sorry. I've used it for everything. I mean, I've—I've I've used it for red uh, tarpon down in in Mexico and stuff. So well, uh, it's okay. a great.
2: What, uh, let's talk tunes. What are your favorite tunes to listen to on on route to the water? If if you're not walking.
10: Oh man, <laughs> uh, I have a pretty diverse uh, uh, taste in music. It, it really, you know, it, it kind of depends on on the mood and 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 the that i'm in i mean yeah you know i'm i'm kind of like an old metal guy I like like judas priest black sabbath oh wow. nice uh,
7: you
10: know and then anything you know to to from that to the country music to yeah. the grateful Dead to you know it, it just it, it really depends i'm all over the place when it comes to that
2: what's your biggest takeaway since you started semper fly rods
10: yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is, for me anyway, is, you know, with us, all of our rods are made to order, right? So we don't, um, with the exception of our annual rod, we don't mass produce anything. Um, so it kind of gives me the ability to, you know, talk directly with the client and kind of see, like, what they're looking for, what they're fishing for, mm-hmm. putting the right rod in their hand. Um, you know, we personalize all of our rods Um all of our rods are dedicated to a service member, um, you know, that, that, that kind of paid the ultimate sacrifice. So um, all of those kind of personal touches, you know, mean a lot to me. And then when the client, uh, stuff like that, you know, they catch a fish and they send me a picture or, you know, they, they're like, Oh, you know, I love this. It's it's the best thing. It just, it it makes me feel good because, you know, I, I gave somebody a product that they love and they enjoy and, you know, they're out there doing what they love and enjoy um, it, it's giving them, you know, a break from reality or whatever it is. And, and then on top of that, you know, we're helping supporting vets and their family. So it's just like, a, it's just a thing, it, you know, just kind of makes me, uh, feel good about what I'm doing. And, you know, when I have the the late nights on, on the bench and stuff like that, or the early mornings, and you know, it all kind of, it makes it worth it for me. <laughs> oh, Canucks for sure.
2: Rainbows or coho?
10: Oh,
4: that's a tough one.
2: 50-50. Favorite dry fly? Oh,
4: 70, oh, 75-25 rainbows. But that's hard because the coho fishing I've had on the northwest coast of Vancouver Island, those little tiny rivers, you know, numerous over 20. Yeah.
2: No, that's... You <laughs> know,
4: and fabulous fish. That, that's an thats an unfair question. <laughs>
2: I love it. Favorite yeah. favorite dry fly pattern,
4: Tom Thumb.
2: Oh come on, get out! You're going old school on me. You betcha. Clearwater or Helios? Oh. <laughs> Look,
4: these. I'm not
2: asking you for the meaning of life here.
4: Well, no, but the thing <laughs> is, personally, Helios for all around work rod, Clearwater.
2: Ah, interesting. Cool. I I've never cast one, and and the value looks amazing in that line for sure. Oh,
4: they're they're like blow. Like I don't want to step up. I want to like hmm. just keep those those clear waters.
2: What is it you like, Matt? About that? Is it is it a little slower action? Or explain that to me.
4: Um, it has nothing to do with any of that, other than the fact that they cast really nice.
2: Just one, two, one, two, check one, two.
11: Good morning mark
2: <laughs> morning nick how are you good how are you i'm good man good just just kind of waking up getting ready you know yeah I right guess, i guess you uh you go into work later you're saying right so yeah okay I appreciate- yep,
11: i'll i be out chasing smallies before i get to work today so
2: really that's awesome
11: oh yeah absolutely cool yeah, it's a beautiful day in pennsylvania
2: nice yeah it's the best time good of the morning. year say hey, listen I, I i've been doing some homework on you so um yeah i got lots of questions and and um like i said in our conversation the other day let, we'll go wherever you want to go man and i'll just um I'll edit it up and uh send you the link it'll it'll air on uh sunday so
11: okay great okay sure uh well i i mean i i recently um came across a picture of myself that a local uh, newspaper photographer slash reporter took in 1979, 1980. It was a local trout derby here in my town. And, and, uh, I had, there was a picture of me in the, in the paper as a three-year-old holding my first trout. So I've been catching trout for, you know, it's funny to say, but for, for 40 years. and, And that's always been a part of my life. And, um, and fly fishing was always out there. It was always something that I knew that I wanted to do it was a different echelon of the sport that I wanted to get into, but I put it off for a very long time. I was just intimidated. And, and it, you know, it wasn't, of course I was busy as I was growing up and I, I joined the army out of school. And then after that I was in college then I was living away in the Midwest and just, just a busy young man. And, didn't really get a chance to get into it until I moved back to Pennsylvania in 2012, and uh, shortly shortly after that, when I started. Um, so I'm fairly new to the to the sport of fly fishing. Being on the water and and chasing trout isn't something new to me, but doing it with uh, with fly rod is fairly new.
2: I always find it interesting. It seems like when, when things kind of calm down and, and, and you kind of get some stability in the life, that's when people tend to come back to fly fishing. You know, when you're a young teenager in your early 20s, like you say, you're busy. But I found myself, I, I wished I would have found it sooner, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I read some. I, I read somewhere, Nick, that you spend over 250 days a year with a fly rod or at least on the water is that accurate
11: it is and it it is because i'm blessed um with where i live in central pennsylvania and my proximity to a lot of different creeks and streams and rivers um i've been all over the country and it's there's a lot of beautiful places and when i came back to um central Pennsylvania and got back on the water. That's when I really realized like Pennsylvania is a, just a geographically beautiful state. And we are, we are really blessed with a lot of really good waters and healthy waters. And, uh, so I can be real close. Um, I'm going to go hunt some smallmouth today and I'm, I have a seven or eight minute drive, uh, to the mouth of a Creek that flows into the Juniata river. And, uh, I'll be right here and you know, so so yes, and the reason I'm able to get out is because I can get out before work or I can get out on the water after work for two or three or four hours a day, and that that's really what what has enabled me to be able to get out as much as I do.
6: Sorry I missed your call.
2: Hey, it's all good. I thought I thought maybe I had my timing wrong or, or maybe my time zones wrong. It's all good.
9: Oh no. We're good. We're plenty good.
2: Yeah, I, I've been looking at some of your stuff on YouTube and uh, trying to get as much information as I can. So you're you're out of uh, right. Gainesville,
9: Gaines yeah, Gainesville, Missouri, yeah. extreme southern Missouri.
2: Um, like I gotta <laughs> tell you, just so you know, I know nothing about your area, so you can just mm-hmm. school me, man, and uh, and we'll talk about. I'm I'm happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about just so you know what I do is uh, interviews normally 30 minutes to an hour and then I just go mm-hmm. back and I edit I edit the crap out of them just so just so right. they sound polished and and uh, post them weekly so I I've, I've got um I got a fellow out of uh, Pennsylvania on this weekend so your show will air a week this weekend so a week in uh, two weeks two weeks out
9: oh wow you know I I'm actually one of the Oh, I would say I'm one of the few people that I, I came into this sport late in life. I, I was not one of those, those guys that, that grew up as a, as even much of a fisherman, to be honest with you. I was, uh, uh, when I was young, I was into sports. I, I played, um, I was a, I was a baseball guy, um, played pretty hardcore for competitive baseball. And,
7: mm-hmm.
9: um, and then, um, So, so like, Oh, I don't know. I was, I was a catcher. Okay. Okay. So uh, I was a catcher in baseball and I blew my knee out playing basketball, like Hmm. totally blew my knee out when I was in high school. Um, so as soon as anybody looking for scholarships, uh, asked, you know, for a catcher with a blown out knee, (laughs) it was like, yeah, it was crickets. Uh, so, um, (laughs) (laughs) So when I got into college, um, I was kind of lost. It was, uh, you know, I was, I played sports, literally played sports my whole life. I had done some fishing, um, just little pond fishing here and there, spinning rods and, and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't anything that I would consider something that I would, um, jump to do. I would have absolutely went and played baseball or basketball for sure before I would have ever thought of fishing. Um, until college came around and I, I just didn't, didn't have anywhere to go. You know, I was, I was like just lost and, uh, I was invited on a float trip and, um, took a float on, on a river that I had floated. Uh, it was my home river. I'd, I'd floated it a thousand times. I knew the river really well. I just didn't fish and, uh, we fished it and it had a ball and it was just all downhill from there
2: jack my levels a bit. here we go hello hello there we go okay can you hear me okay
12: i can yeah that was
2: good yeah i uh i had a bit of a brain cramp there i uh it's the first time i've done that this is like episode number 64 or something (laughs) okay so i you know what it was nice to chat with you the other night because i kind of got a feel for a little bit about what you're about even just with that brief conversation and uh we got a lot we can talk about I have no doubt. So uh, I think this will make make for a really, yeah. really good show. And then, I mean, if it works for you, Christian, I'll just introduce you. Um, and then I'll let you tell your story, kind of how you came to f- uh, find fly fishing. And then uh, we'll jump right in, talk about Dupa Fish, talk about your story and, and wherever we go.
13: Yeah, um, you know, I'm a Pittsburgh guy originally, and I grew up. On a can of mealworms and bobbers, you know, fishing the, the local stalkers in Pittsburgh with uh, my dad and brother. And, you know, that progressed along as it naturally would. And, uh, you know, I was the young guy who was looking through the Bass Pro magazine every weekend and, um, you know, circling what I wanted and moved on eventually to, you know, throwing rooster tails and things like that. But, um, you know, it's funny, I, I kind of outgrew fishing. Uh, per se, it just kind of fell off of my map for a while and went to through high school and college, et cetera, and didn't really pay too much attention to it. And then, uh, post-college, I got real heavy into, um, athletics, uh, especially endurance athletics and, um, was big into climbing, ski mountaineering, cycling, et cetera. And that, that really led my life. That's what moved me to, to Park City, Utah. Um, and then about eight years ago, I had this um, sudden change in life. And uh, unfortunately, I was um, diagnosed with stage 4C Hodgkin's disease, which is a you know, lymphatic cancer. And um, that was unfortunately around my heart and kind of in my lungs. And through my treatments and trying to eradicate this disease, um, I lost about ninety percent of the functionality in my left lung. Hmm. So tough tough change in life there for me. And what it ultimately led to was I wasn't able to do those endurance athletics. Um and those were just a huge component of my life. I mean, I moved across the country for that kind of stuff.
7: Mm-hmm. Changed
13: my life, moved my wife with me, et cetera. And um I had some buddies that always fly fished and they had always invited me prior. And I'd gone a couple of times and was like, yeah, dude, this is fun. It brings back you know, the old fishing days and really enjoy this. But I was really of the tune of like, nah, I'll do that when I get old, you know, cause I always perceived it as this old guy sport. and you, know? you know, so I just wrote it off as that. Well, when this happened, uh, I think my buddies were seeing that I was having a hard time, you know, uh, having that gap in my life of some kind of purpose other than, you know, um, you know, family and, and like, where, where's the, uh, the recreational side, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple good friends of mine, uh, a guy by the name, TJ Kalenko and, and Jay blues and, uh, Jay's father, Tom blues. Um, they introduced me to fly fishing. They invited me out on what they call their guys trip. <laughs> they have an annual trip where they're all in Pennsylvania still. And they, they usually would come out West and, uh, do, you know, like a 10 day trip. And they have a couple other buddies that join them. One of which I had, Heard about for a long time. The guy's name's Todd Jerkinson Just never made uh, any kind of trip with him. He was a climber, skier as well. So that year, uh, we went to and it's Montana. And I got the invite. I was still having a really hard time getting around, but these guys had figured out that um, they could take these personal pontoon boats and float uh, the Madison and, and just have a great time, you know, and do it day in, day out. And so. I went up and it was like 10 days of boot camp, man. These guys like totally took care of me, took me around, showed me the road, et cetera. And, um, it was like, you know, the sky had opened up for me. Um, it just filled that void immediately. It gave me that sense of adventure again, and I could do it in a manner that was acceptable to my health at the time, which was, was pretty rough. Um, you know, I was having a hard time getting around. I was, you know, having to do things like crawl out on the bank and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Changed my life. Um, really got me introduced and I was hooked. Uh, that's kind of how I got started in fly fishing.
2: I'd really like to dig a little deeper into kind of the mental aspect of that. Cause I think that probably can't be understated. You know, you, you, you here you are. You're an endurance athlete. You're spending all this time doing some high level things, and then all of a sudden that gets taken away. Maybe speak to what it meant to have fly fishing come into your life and 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 kind of find the outdoors and in a happy place again.
7: Yeah,
13: um, I've, I've always been an outdoors guy, so it was really important to me. And, and you're right. It was a um, it was a mental blockade, and and I kind of I've related it to you hear it quite often in professional sports, especially uh, like soccer and football, where you hear these guys, they go, they can't step away from the game. And the, and the biggest reason they can't step away from the game isn't necessarily the athletics, but a lot of it is the the locker room, the being with your friends and, and, and having those experiences and those moments that you can relate back to. And um, I think I went through quite a bit of that. And from a mental side, I think all of those, other endurance type sports really help me because in most endurance sports and things like climbing etc you're breaking problems in the blocks right
7: mm-hmm. and
13: fly fishing is just like that you're you're breaking the, the down the, the the problem of catching a fish in the blocks and so you start to relate and organize your approach in that manner so to give you an example when you are packing up your truck. You're thinking, okay, what's the weather like? I'm starting to break down that block. What kind of gear do I want to bring? How do I want to be situated? What river am I going to go to? What time of day is it? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all items in that first block. The second block is now that I'm starting to approach the river, how am I going to approach the river? Am I going to come in where the water is fast? So if the fish can't see me and approach a hole from this direction or that direction because of the light, et cetera, all those, it was blocking of the problems and you know, they start to stack. And I think that's how I could relate to the fishing so rapidly. And it created so much relief for me because it was filling a lot of those same voids, but it was also filling it with something new and exciting.
14: This is George.
2: Hey, George, it's Mark from Fly Fishing 97. How are you?
14: Good, Mark. Yourself?
2: Good. Really good. Hey, um, are... I appreciate you taking the the time to chat. I really do. I'm looking. I've been looking forward to this for a while, so that's it's awesome. Um, no, no, thanks for the opportunity. It's amazing. You know, I think that's my number one state for downloads. Well, I know it is actually. We got a lot of listeners in really? in your state. Yeah, Pennsylvania. Well, and we're sponsored by the Flycrate, Crate, which was out of Pennsylvania originally. And I don't know. It just seems like every second person I talk to is from PA. It's kind of weird. <laughs> But you, I mean, you guys have so many fishing opportunities, right? Like it's, it's so diverse. Yeah, we
12: do. I mean,
9: yeah. I mean, other than, I mean, other than Alaska, I mean, we we have more, more more miles of trout water than any other state. Uh, and then that's trout fishing. Then we have the bass fishing. We have pretty good musky fishing. Uh, you know, we've got the Great Lakes steelhead fisheries. So, yeah. I mean, where where I grew up, I grew up in a I would say, a remote, kind of like a village. It was actually it was probably the only village in the state of Pennsylvania called Germania. And we were a one-car family. My father had a you know, kind of a, a long-time day job, so he was away from home a lot. So we didn't really have a car. Uh, and I had this little brook trout fishery called Germania Branch, which was a tributary to a main stem uh, called Keller Creek. But essentially, I had this little beautiful brook trout fishery that was running past my house and it was a kids only section and I was the only kid in the entire village that fished. So I had this kind of private brook trout fishery all to myself. My, my old man, uh, my father introduced me to fly fishing, but long story short, very impatient uh, person was good enough to introduce me, but was not so much a good teacher. So I essentially kind of got uh, my feet wet, uh, just kind of learning on my own, uh, making a lot of mistakes, but kind of just growing up, kind of teaching myself for a number of years. And, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old and it's hard to believe, you know, a lot of the people now that, you know, I grew up in a, in a world where there wasn't a YouTube and, you know, the internet. So it was kind of just learning on your own. And then, you know, you fast forward, uh, my family then relocated to the central part of the state, uh, and, and state college. And, i about 14 years old, and that's when I got to meet my mentor, uh, Joe Humphreys. And I knew about Joe for years. You know, he caught this Pennsylvania State record, Brown Trout at at night, and I had all his books along with his mentor, George Harvey. And I just grew up idolizing these guys. And finally, when I was 14, I moved into the area that these guys lived. And long story short, met Joe, but just hassled the hell out of him for about a year and a half until he agreed to go fishing with me. And then after we went fishing, we kind of hit it off, and he kind of took me under his wing. And then I would say probably about the age of 15, 16, that's when I actually started getting some formal instruction. And then, you know, I just, I knew Joe. uh, He You know, he kind of was, he was my hero. Uh, I, I You know, this was a guy who made a living teaching at Penn State and just basically taught what he loved doing. Uh, and that was kind of uh, something that really inspired me. So even at 16, 17, I started taking part-time jobs, you know, just working odd-end jobs, and then actually hiring uh, fly fishing instructors, casters, and instructors. I, I was hiring, uh, earning my own money to pay for instruction at ages uh, 16 and 17 because this was just, it was just something I really was interested in doing, uh, and it kind of just went from there.
2: That's quite a story. And I'm always I admire the passion because you know as a, as a young as a young guy getting into it, where did that passion come from? Just just from out of did, did you see it coming? I'm always curious because it just all of a sudden, are you passionate about everything you do or was it just fly fishing kind of was it for you?
9: Yeah, fly fishing was it for me? It was I had kind of blinders. I mean, I, I was I, I was a jock. I did, you know, some sports. I had some interest, but you know, when you, when the when the year was over, when the day is over, I mean there was just like there was just like one focus uh, in my life at that point and I was just just fishing. Uh you know, you would you know, you would you know, you would do sports, um, you know, you would try different activities, you know, buddies would try to take you archery hunt, archery shooting, you go hunting, you go backpacking, camping and, you know, all great sports, but for some for some reasons fishing just I mean it, it just stuck with me. Um,
4: You know, and and there's a number
9: of reasons why, you know, people might be drawn to particular activities. But I just love the problem solving, you know, and as an instructor, you know, I I like the how to. I know some people just like kind of the basics, just learning just, you know, just enough to kind of get them into the outdoors. And I I love that and I appreciate that. But what I really love to do is actually trying to solve problem solve, find out why things happen for the reasons that they do and be able to translate and and transfer that information that to basically cut the learning curve for other people in half or a quarter in some cases maybe an eighth so i just love solving problems right and with fly fishing as you know there's always problems to solve it's just dynamic systems environments changing fish behaviors changing and it's just this big puzzle and you know, just like with any activity, I think what what you try to do is you try to, you know, that's the purpose of a lifelong activity is to kinda you know, we all are dealing with the daily grind, we're dealing with, you know, you know, life. Life throws out lemon stand and sometimes what you need is an activity that kinda takes your mind off of that. And I can't think of a better activity than fly fishing because in order to be successful with fly fishing, I mean you have got to be like one hundred percent focused. If you're not focused you're, you're not going to succeed. And I just love how fly fishing just allows you to develop that focus, and it takes your mind off of everything other than what is in front of
15: you on the water.
9: Hello.
2: Hey, Joshua. It,
15: it's... Hey, how's it going there, Mark?
2: Good, man. How are you?
15: I'm doing well.
2: Good. Hey, um, I appreciate you taking my call. I, uh, I've been checking out some of your stuff on Instagram, and I thought, you know what? This guy looks pretty dialed in. He might be uh, interesting to have on the podcast, so... Um, oh,
15: thank you. I was, uh, I was stoked. I, I listened to you quite regularly. So when I saw cool. the message, I was like, oh, no way.
2: That's awesome. So g- give me a bit of your background, Joshua. So where, where are you working at right now? Like, what are you doing?
15: So I'm from the lower mainland. I'm from Langley. Right. Um, right now, I'm working up in Salmon Arm at Westside Stores, though. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah. So I, I got a job here uh, end of April. And so I've been here um, last little portion of April, May, June, and I'm pretty much here the rest of the of the summer, just working in their fishing department. Yeah. Um, and then come the fall semester, I'm back down at school in Abbotsford. Um, okay. I go to Columbia Bible College, and I'm cool. Either gonna be either gonna be working at Fred's down there, Fred's tackle, or yep. Michael and Young. So. You know, what's funny is I,
2: I used to live in Salmon Arm and I worked at CKXR back in the day and I used to go into Westside stores. I I want to say Marvin. Was it Marvin? I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you guys, uh, always had uh, good stuff for the lake. I remember, I don't remember too much fly fishing stuff. This is like 30 years ago, but. Yeah. um, Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, whoa, whoa. I'd still
15: say definitely uh, the larger portion of the focus is on the on the the shoe swap and on the trolling in it. Yeah. But um, since a gentleman by the name of Bill start was has kind of helped out in the fishing um end of things. Yeah. He's really big into fly fishing. So from under my understanding, it's within the last five years that they've really started to expand into the fly fishing yeah uh, branch. And okay. so that's where yeah.
2: So you don't mind if, so you want, you say you're from Vancouver, but you're living in Salmon Arm. would that be accurate? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you're kind of hitting a lot of, we're probably hitting a lot of the same waters, actually. I noticed that on some of your picks. I'm like, man, that looks familiar. So I'm, up, I'm up there quite a bit, but I'm surprised we haven't crossed oh, no paths. I, yeah. yeah. But, uh, okay, cool. So, I mean, I don't know. So basically just just a chill conversation, kind of how you got into fly fishing and um, kind of what you've been up to and, and maybe... Uh, Talk about some of your influences, if you will, like some some of the people maybe you've learned from.
15: Yeah, for sure. Exactly, because you're sitting there all April. You're looking at, you know, you're online, you're following the forums, and you see all these lakes starting to thaw and ice off. It's kind of nice to have some some in mind that you can go to for that early season itch, right? So.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, do you do a lot of tying yourself, Joshua?
15: Yeah, um, that's actually something I started getting into probably about. It'd be three years ago now. Um, me and my dad, we were at a uh, at a lodge, and there was these gentlemen. They were tying flies and absolutely killing it. It was a it was a type of mayfly, uh, but it was kind of between a mayfly like a, a Calabatus um, pheasant tail
7: mm-hmm. and
15: like a, a butler bug. And so I'd never seen it in a shop, and I was like, "Hey guys, where are you getting that?" And they uh, they said they tied them. And so that evening, I gave it a crack um, in the lodge on their vise that they graciously let me use. And that kind of hooked me. So it's funny and, to say uh, that.
2: I find that more and more now with with the access to all the media. There, there's so many amazing tires that nobody nobody's heard of.
14: Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. we're blown away by some of the stuff that people are posting. It's like, oh my gosh, that is unbelievable. And it's like I don't even know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and before it'd be like you know, it's like Kelly Gallup or Mike Mercer, you know, or guys like that you know, like Bob Clouser, like those were like the tires and now there's all these unbelievable tires out there who are on social media. It's really, really cool. I, th-
2: I really think that's a testimony to the fact that you can watch somebody do it because back in the day you, you had to go to a club, you had to go to, you know what I mean? You, you didn't yeah, have access. Absolutely. It's amazing to me how, how you can just pull these recipes off, off the internet.
14: Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, and if you want to check out our YouTube, you can pull our patterns off the internet and let it rip. Yeah. I was doing that earlier
2: tonight. You got some good stuff on there. I, awesome, man. I, I want to get we have more on the way. Yeah. It's really cool. I, uh, I got to thank Chris Thompson, trout addict, who I know you're familiar with, but he, he, he's the fellow that uh, said, Hey, you got to give these guys a shout. I love what you're That's doing. Awesome. Well, it's a different angle that you're coming at it. You know, you're specializing in basically one type of fly, which I think is really yeah. cool. You know, because there's yeah the possibilities with tying are endless. Heck, they're endless when you just look at streamers. Would you Would you agree?
14: Oh, absolutely.
4: Yeah, it's
2: just it boggles my mind.
14: Yeah. Have you got it, any? It's really crazy. Have
2: you got any crazy? fish stories from your time on the water, something uh, that maybe comes to mind that's kind of weird or wonderful that's happened to you in the past, uh, past little bit?
14: Oh, man. Something weird or wonderful that's happened to me in the past little bit.
7: Hmm. Let me
14: think about that one. Yeah, yeah. Takes, take your time. Uh-huh. Well, I actually did manage to catch my first carp on the fly, which was a pretty cool moment for me. That's not a nice uh, small feat. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> but I had been, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, you hear stories about carp, and they're like, man, these things are everywhere in every ditch. Man, I've looked all over, and I've seen, like, two. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not even sure these things exist. Uh, and I was like, God, you know, I can't find these things to save my life. I don't know where guys are catching these things. And sure enough, we're out on the river. We're at the mouth of this creek, and uh, all of a sudden, there's like a school of 100 carp right at the mouth of this creek. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it is on. Because, I mean, they're clearly not spawning. I really don't know what they were doing. I couldn't figure it out. They weren't spawning, though. But, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it is on. And so I just tie on a, we have this, like, micro game changer with us and i mean i i don't have a single cart pattern in my box that has changed since this happened but at the time we had like this micro game changer and i was like oh this is not gonna work you know like these things eat like crayfish and freshwater clams or damselfly nymphs you know and stuff like that or you know which is what i've always heard that these will predate upon but sure enough we just throw it out there and instantly this massive carp just pins it down, and it was nuts. It was like it was totally eye-opening to me because you'll hear these stories, like these things only eat this, like these general things, and that's I think that's one of the most dangerous things you can do in fly fishing, and I I fall for it all the time. I'm such a sucker for those general <laughs> those generalities or whatever you want to call them those steadfast rules, but the truth is, these are wild animals who are just trying to pass on their genes, and the best way to do that is just taking advantage of easy food sources for them. And, you know, whether it's a bait fish or not, if it's available to them and easy to get without them expending a lot of energy to get it, they will take their shot at it. And sure enough, I mean, we're catching carp on game changers now, which is insane.
2: Just one, two, one, two hey phil it's mark from FlyFish 97 how are you good i'm expecting your call all right have you got a window i know you're a busy guy
16: uh, i'm here i got a window
2: that's awesome man i, pre- I appreciate you taking the call so phil i just want to uh just so you know i edit the crap out of this so we'll just have a conversation and sure. go wherever we go and um <laughs> my goal is always to make to make you sound good and to make me not sound like a fool so well it's, that could uh,
16: be tough on both counts maybe huh <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's true you it's... set a
16: high standard i don't know <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks for that hey um so I just want to, before we get going, Phil. I want to just confirm a couple things. I'm playing with your levels. Just make make sure you sound good.
16: Uh, Some... The more times, the more bugs you start seeing at the surface. And, and again, you you can follow the hatch through, you know, careful use of a throat pump because that's probably the one food source in Coronium. It's where every hour it can change. It could change to a different species, a different color, and that's you know, with that species change. Uh, a different trait in their um, sort of evolution, if you will, or as a as a pupa as they gather more gases, um, because you'll see them darken and all of a sudden they're olive, and then the next one you pump is is kind of a green, chromy color, right? And that's the same uh, in that instance I just described. That was the same bug, mm-hmm. just going through its changes as it prepares to hatch. Right. It's the stuff that keeps you awake at night.
2: <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny you say that because there's so many. Like, it's a hidden world down there to us, really, isn't yep. it? And, and you're talking yeah, it about really with your aquarium, you kind of get a, an inkling of what's happening. But, yeah. you know, when you look at it in scale, that's one thing I think that a lot of people are drawn to in fly fishing is that there's so much to know. Like, where do you stop learning? I don't, I don't think you
16: do. That's what the model on my website and my personal sort of business model is because you never stop learning. That's one of the things I love about the sport is you're always learning, you know, particularly on those days where it doesn't go as according to plan. I think I learn more then because I'm spending, you know, more brain power trying to figure this whole thing out, right, and trying different things and doing different things to sort of throw the odds in my favor we all like those days where it's lights out, but um, it's, it's sort of those days you got to work at. And if you crack the code that day, I, it's a pretty rewarding feeling.
2: Check one, two, one, two. <clears throat> Jonas, I'm really yeah. curious about how, how you and Joe kind of got together and, and started this business, Hufius. Tell us a little bit about that and how, how things began for you.
1: Well, basically one day I, uh, I was off work and I decided that I was going to go salmon fishing in one of the trip of uh you know around milwaukee and um i'd actually never really done salmon fishing before so i just sort of got my eight weight and some flies and jumped in a truck and tried to find a place i had no idea really where to go and i was driving down the street when i finally got around the river i knew i wanted to try out and i had no idea how to get down there and suddenly i see this guy standing there getting his fishing rods out with a rod holder on top and i thought hey I'll stop uh, about 20 yards next to him and pretend I know what I'm doing, and then I'll get in a conversation with this guy. And uh, that was Joe standing there, and we probably chatted for about an hour and a half before we even got going to, to the river. And, uh, well, that the funny story about this in the podcast is actually we got talking on my way to the river. I had to listen to your podcast, and I actually listened to the one where Joe was in it, and he started showing me pictures from this Tarponville trip he had had. and I was like, Hmm, that sounds familiar. I said, Are you the you that Joe guy from the podcast? And he goes, What? <laughs> and, so that was kind of funny how, how that turned out that way. The very same morning as I was listening to that podcast, I, I bumped into the guy. So that was that was random.
2: I always, and I always then, those coincidences are pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that was that was fun though. <laughs> and then we basically fished uh all fished day and actually had a really
0: Yeah. We had some, we had a ton of excitement on our first day. Um, uh, we got to the river, was totally blown out. And, uh, knowing that some of the tributaries drain a lot quicker, um, we decided to go after some of these Kings and some smaller streams. And, uh, I had kind of dialed in on one of the tributaries North of Milwaukee and, um, took Jonas there and, uh, I was trying to tail this King and, um, the trailing hook drove within millimeters of my bone as the fish jumped. And, um, I'm, you know, here with this new friend of mine and I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I've got to go to the hospital. Yeah. Jonas was quick to say he'd pull it out and then very quick to say, you need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and, um, so I ended up meeting with a hand surgeon that got it out. And the whole time, Jonas was texting me all these kings that he's catching. And uh, I remember at one point, he uh, said he had to take a little rest on the on the bank because he was tired out. So he had a pretty solid day. And I showed up after getting out of the hospital. And yeah, we caught a bunch of fish that day. So it was uh, a fun way to be introduced to one another. Well, the funny thing about that story is too
1: that The first fish I caught after you left had your fly stuck in
0: his.
7: Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. (laughs) (laughs) That That is one
2: bizarre day.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, took me downstream where you had earlier dropped your glasses. We couldn't find. Yeah, and as I'm landing the fish, your glasses are laying right next to it. It was, it was was crazy. that was a fun day.
2: Let's take it back to your roots, Greg. I always like to start right at the beginning. So think
1: back yeah.
2: in time when you got started with a fly rod in hand. What did that look like, and and how did you come to uh, get into fly fishing?
17: Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a little bit further than than the fly rod actually, just to kind of give you my background um, in fishing in general, because that's kind of where it all started for me. I think it it started there and it built into the natural progression into, um, you know, fly fishing. So, um, let's see, you know, I grew up in Northern Michigan,
7: Mm
17: -hmm. um, Traverse, Traverse city area and, you know, kind of famed fly fishing waters, you know, a lot of history, um, in the fly fishing world is there, you know, we got a lot of blue ribbon trout streams and stuff there. And it's kind of funny. I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really turned on to those places nearly as much, only because I hadn't been exposed to it, um, you know. My grandfather was probably responsible for getting me into the outdoors in general, fishing and hunting, and uh, you know he really sparked that interest. I remember, I, I remember, I still have, I still have my first fishing rod. Actually, it's a little, hmm. one of those little three and a half foot Snoopy rods. <laughs> <A> little, <laughs> hold a on, hold on. Yeah, was it red was it red?
2: Was it red with? The, it, it was the
17: f- like orange, orange and white. It's a little oh. Zebco reel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had one of
2: those. I had yeah. one of those.
17: And I still have it. And uh, you know, I caught it the first fish I ever remember catching. And I think it was the first one. You know, I've asked my dad, and he he always remembers the same one too. It was like a little uh probably a, like a 10 inch large mouth bass on that little rock. So it was quite the sight. <laughs> um, but you know, it was you know, that progression. My my grandfather, you know, I um was a big time fisherman. Both both my grandfathers actually were. And uh, one was really big into uh, pike and walleye, and the other one is more into panfish and that sort of thing. He was more of the, hey, this is food I'm gonna catch and eat. And so he would fill his freezers up all summer with bluegill and perch and all these panfish. Mm-hmm. And so he was the one probably the most responsible for kind of passing on the fish of uh, fishing and hunting to me. And I, I give him the credit for that. But, you know, through those years, you know, growing up in Michigan through, you know, middle school, high school, and, into my, you know, early adulthood, um, you know, I was just fishing as much as I possibly could, but I always had this, this little perk of interest for the fly rod. And it just seemed like such a, almost like a mythical, magical thing, but it almost seemed unattainable. And only because I had never been exposed to, it. I didn't know anybody that fly fished. Uh, I didn't know anybody that knew anybody that fly fished. I and mean, I didn't even know that there was fly shops. I was so green so to speak when it came to that world I just felt like it was unreachable in so many ways
2: so Greg and so I really take me through that Greg so 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 um how did you start fly fishing I mean you just kind of started googling it like did you have a buddy that did it how did you get into it
17: well you know it's kind of interesting I um I was working part-time at a sporting goods store Dick's Sporting Goods Mm -hmm. um which is kind of a big thing back east and and I remember one of the the guys there was um, that worked in the fishing department. He was he was showing me these fly rods that were on sale, and he's like, "Hey, these are going on sale an extra like 30% this weekend, and um, it's a great deal." They were Saint Croix rods, Saint Croix Avid series rods, and I was like, "Man, I've always wanted to get into that. I'm just going to buy them." So I ended up buying these two rods, a seven weight and a four weight, and I literally, I, I just. I kind of just looked at them all day just like wow these are so cool and and I didn't know what to do next and that was that was probably about let me think I can probably tell you exactly the year that was 2005
7: Mm
17: -hmm. I bought those rods and so you know I was what 23 24 years old at that time and um, I got married the very next year and my wife and I became to Colorado on our honeymoon from Michigan Uh, it was kind of like a you know, let's go see the mountains, but also let's see if we want to move there. It was a scouting trip in so many ways.
7: Mm-hmm. And so
17: we fell in love with Colorado. We always wanted to try something new, get out West. And so we moved out eight months later, 2007 in the spring, we moved out here. And it was at that time that I'm like, I'm in Colorado. I have to learn how to fly fish. And, and so I ended up going and buying some reels and some lines, just taking the, the person who worked at the sporting store, their recommendation. I bought some Ross reels and some and some lines to go with them. And the church we were going to at that time here in Denver, um, one of the pastors there was an avid fly fisherman. So we hit it off and I'm like, you have to teach me. I I need to get it. I really want to learn this and get into it. And he was super cool. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Um, So we went and this is, this is probably 2008 now. So summer of 2008, 11 years ago, first trip first time ever fly fishing it took me to the headwaters of the Colorado river in Rocky mountain national park. Hmm. And that was where it started for me that, and and I finally got to try this thing that I'd been
9: dreaming of
17: literally for well over a decade at that point. And, um, it, it just took off from there. I caught a bunch of brown trout, you know, I, of course it was terrible at first. It was, you know, as everybody's first time, it's not so pretty, but, uh, You know, it was one of those things that once that first cast and just feeling that line load and just learning all the nuances of it and watching that fish rise, come up and take that fly. It was just it was all over for me there. And it it just it sparked this little flame in me that just continued to grow and grow and grow. And it's just kind of a mild obsession, I guess you could say, (laughs) but definitely a very strong passion for sure.
2: You said something there that really stuck with me that I've heard a lot of people say that I've chatted with and uh-huh. it, you said, it's almost seemed unattainable. And I know what you mean by yeah. that, because unless you know somebody that, that fly fishes or ties flies or is really, yeah. um, you know, embedded in, in the pastime, it's hard to learn it, right? Like it's easier now yeah. with all the social media, but you know, you go back a few years, it's hard to kind of find that starting point. And it, it you mentioned yeah. your your grand granddad got you basically into the fishing. You talked about the Snoopy rod. And I, I gotta laugh because my first rod was a Snoopy <laughs> rod. And and you know what no, else is... No way. I'm not kidding you. No, and, and the other thing is is the first decent fly rod I bought was a Saint Croix avid, which I still oh, have. It's yeah. in like it's a four piece, but now it's uh-huh. a six it's a six piece. Now No
4: kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
17: Yeah, yeah but... I know where that goes. That's funny.
2: Sorry, I'm getting off track here. Um, That's here, all right. Here's a bit of a philosophical question for you. Um, if you, yeah,
4: could... I just got to open my garage door for a sec. Yeah, man, go ahead. Okay.
2: You, you know what's awesome? That's the first time I've ever had a garage door open on this show. Really? That was. <laughs> what are you doing, letting the dog out?
4: No, I had to take a leak. <laughs> now I got to edit that, man.
2: I had some gold there. Okay.
4: I, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs>
2: to, you remind me of my buddy. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay, sorry. That's funny. I'm editing that out, okay? We got to
4: Feel better now. Okay, we can keep
2: going. What kind of beer are you drinking?
4: Oh, Coonies. I'm into
2: Coonies. Yeah, that's right. No, it's good. I I I enjoy editing. Trust me. So let's get back into your <laughs> into your publications. So tell us a little bit about the framework because I was flipping through your mags extensively and I was really impressed with the the online layout. I mean, it really felt like I had the magazine in front of my face.
12: No, I appreciate that. Um, you know, really with the layout, we kind of want to bring our passion for fly fishing to the forefront of readers. And we have recently switched up our uh, layout, really focusing on, you know, the photography and really trying to bring that imagery out. And in terms of the layout, you know, we like to do a little something with the departments, you know, get a little bit of knowledge in your, in your hands, you know, like waiter care or working tandem rigs, you know, something that. Maybe, you know, um, new to readers that aren't as experienced with fly fishing, but may also put a little bug in the ear of people that are used to it or maybe something to try and do something different. And the great thing with the digital platform is you don't have to go out and pick it up from a newsstand. You don't have to subscribe to it and wait for it to come in the mail. It's right there in front of you. And we don't have to take down any issues. They're there, you know, pretty much as long as the server will have us and people can visit that and really get involved. And in terms of layout, we try and focus on a different region and a different area or a different member or different species, um, each issue. That way we're always kind of revolving around and inspiring people in either different regions to go out and fish and, you know, species that may be in their backyard or guys that are fishing, you know, say in South Florida, they go, you know what, I really want to get out there and try my hand at steelhead. And I don't know if I screwed this up, you know, I'm usually on the other side of things, (laughs) asking the questions. Um, And truth be told, I'm not a great speaker, but, you know, in terms of just everything with the magazine, we just want people to go out and do, and we're trying to find the best way to reach people and bring that to the forefront. You know, you don't need to have, you know, all this knowledge behind you, you don't need to go out and do X, Y, Z to get out there and fish. Get out there and do it. Mm -hmm. Check out the magazine, get some tips and go out there and attempt it.
2: Well, I like the way, Michael, you had it laid out. Like, uh, well, you had the tying desk and kind of just some quick tips. Um, even some dining stuff. Tell tell us, uh, where, where you plan on going in the future with that libations, fine dining, um, you got lots of areas there you can cover.
12: You know, the best way I could put it is fly fishing is, it's a lifestyle. And again, kind of what we said before, it's who we are. It's what we love to do. And it all kind of ties together. I mean, after a long day of fishing, I would love to have some sort of adult beverage in my hand while I'm sitting at the house thinking about what I did right or wrong out in the water or just kind of kick back and relax.
2: Hey, can I throw a few rapid fire questions at you? Yeah, let's do it. Totally random. Uh, Well, this will be a tough one for you. Broncos, Rockies, or Avs?
9: Oh, man. Broncos, but Avs are a super close second.
2: If you're on a Rocky Mountain stream or a river, what's your go-to pattern? If you had one pattern to pull from your box, what would you put on?
9: Uh, Charlie Craven's two-bit hooker with two beads on it.
2: all right that's very specific what color is that
9: (laughs) it's i like the gray one that he does yeah
2: okay go to fly rod what's your favorite Fly line no your fly rod if you were to pick one fly rod oh rod yeah
9: uh i'd pick a five weight and i don't want something with super stiff action i want something with more like a mid flex
2: hmm favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water
9: Oh, man, I'm going to get some exposure for these guys. Don of the Buffalo are okay. an amazing band. They're super cool and funky, and they've got a really positive vibe, and I'm listening to those guys all the time.
2: That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Is that iTunes, yeah. or where are you finding that?
9: Oh uh, Yeah, they're on iTunes.
2: Cool. Browns or Bows? Any preference?
9: <laughs> I'd actually say Bows.
2: Yeah. Most yeah, memorable I love trip. The
9: aerobatic stuff.
2: What's the most memorable, uh, most trip, memorable you, trip? Yeah.
9: Ooh, now that one's tougher. Um, I, I, a couple of friends and I went down to San Juan below Navajo Reservoir in New Mexico. And it's a really wide river and it's not that deep and it's uh, full of large fish that eat super tiny flies. And it's just such a unique place to fish. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll come up behind you and they'll sit in a little pocket that you make when you're out waiting and you have to, you have to just like deal with these fish that are taunting you as you fish to other <laughs> fish.
7: It's, uh, it's a really
9: cool river. I really enjoy it, it's, especially for like technical grinding kind of fishing. That's, yeah. that's fun.
2: Yeah. You're probably doing something right when you get into something there.
4: <laughs> yeah.
7: Yeah. yeah.
2: Favorite place to talk fishing in the greater Denver area? Is it a fly shop? Is it a pub? What does that look like?
9: Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, if I go to a fly shop, I'm usually heading over to Angrizol. Uh They do an awesome job keeping everything stocked as far as the tying goes. And there's always really interesting conversations going on in there. Not always about trout either. Um, sometimes people are talking about, you know, saltwater fishing and, and it's just like, I haven't really looked into that ever. So it's kind of interesting to just kind of hear all these different brains coming together sometimes.
2: I'd like to harness the uh, the artistic side of your brain for a second and get you to paint us a, okay. l- a little picture. So um, if you could have your perfect day on the water, what does that look like? Is this, a, is this an early morning thing, coffee in hand? Kind of walk us through that
9: all right well uh i'll try to walk through it i don't know if there's an order here but I kind of a more of a night owl so i would probably get there a little later <laughs> <laughs> but um when i would show up you know the hatch would be going off and i kind of alluded to this uh, a little bit already but i really kind of like the technical kind of you got a really do do with the fish to figure it out so i'm thinking like a bwo hatch is starting to come off and so you know taking emergers mergers for a while and then they might move on to, you know, dries. Um, but it would be in like a really pretty kind of red rock or exposed rock canyon where you kind of have the elevation change and then maybe partly cloudy but some blue sky. Um, and, and I would be waiting. I, I don't think I would be off a boat because, mm. again, I really like that. You kind of, it's you versus the fish and you're sight fishing or you're watching a pod and trying to figure it out. But, um, and then the other thing is you got to figure it out, right? Like there's some days where you just can't quite get it, but in this day we would figure it out. It would be, you know, something weird, like, oh, I got a grease in RS too and use 7X or something like that. And that would be the ticket. And then once you get that, it's on and then you, you know, you tell your buddies and then everybody starts, you know, catching fish cause you guys figured it out. And then, ah uh, man, we'd fish, we'd fish that hard all day hopefully it continue and then maybe we'd even fish into the evening and swing some streamers uh, that's pretty fun I yeah, I do enjoy doing that so you nice. know try to if there's browns try to pick a couple of browns off after the sun goes down
2: you end up around a campfire
9: mm. oh yeah And then we, we tell all the tales and we lie <laughs> to each other about how big the fish were <laughs> that's
2: right that's why you gotta write it down <laughs>
5: yeah That's good stuff. The Fly Fishing 97 Podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 Podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.